0: Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. This is Terrence Wilson, lead pastor of Cool Church. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's to But I want to talk to you today uh, out of God's heart, and I want to invite you to go with me, if you can, to Matthew 16. we got a big Bible in the sky. It'll be behind me, uh, but you got one in your hand. And uh, so let's look at Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's asking his people that are closest to him, hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he looked at at them and he, he asked them the same question that he's asking you and I today. And that is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And out of the 12 men that were there, Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, what's interesting about this is I want you to notice something. First of all, it doesn't say that they were questioning themselves, but I'm sure they were. Like if you were, if you had a friend or a teacher or a family member, it doesn't matter. And somebody says, hey, what do people, what do people say, who who do people say that I am? Who who do you say that I am? So I'm sure in their mind they were wondering, why is he asking these questions? Does he not know who he is? Why is he asking this question? But the answer that he got was not Peter didn't say, you're Jesus, he didn't say that. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus said, blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock of revelation. In other words, this is a rock. What you just said is for sure. Upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. He goes on to say this, and I'm also going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now here's what's powerful. Again, they did not say, when he said, who do you say that I am? They didn't say, well, you're Jesus. And here's why. I'm from the state of Texas and um, You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a, you know, there's these food groups for years, you know, three food groups, four food groups, they've expanded it now. But in Texas, there is a, not a a food type, there's a food group called (laughs) Tex-Mex. It's not Mexican food, it's Tex-Mex food. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Like there's Mexican food, then there's Tex-Mex. Some of y'all don't know this, but this is Texas. Like fajitas? That is not Mexican food. That was, that was established at a place called Nienfes in Dallas, Texas. They started calling them fajitas. Anybody here ever had a fajitas? Okay, so it's not Mexican food, it's Tex-Mex. Queso, you ever had any queso? It'd be like, queso, I'm making you hungry right now. Don't worry, I'll let you go in a minute. But, but, but queso, you won't find that at a Mexican food place. You say, I'll have some queso. They say, oh, you want some cheese? But Tex-Mex is you dip the chip in the queso. In fact, I'm not gonna go to a Tex-Mex restaurant that doesn't have good queso. I get enchiladas anywhere, tacos anywhere, but guess what, queso is good. Well, all that to say is I was in a Mexican food restaurant not that long ago, a Tex-Mex restaurant, and the waiter walks up to us and he says, hello, I am Jesus. I said, Jesus, <laughs> you're here. <laughs> yes, I am. And so we laughed, I grabbed and I said, let's take a picture. I, I didn't ever think I'd get a picture with Jesus, but I want a picture with you. And I got a picture with Jesus. Now listen, about I'm less than five minutes, about two tables over, I see another waiter walk up and he goes, hello, I am Jesus. I thought in my mind, I'm in a Tex-Mex restaurant and there's two Jesuses here. I mean, really, I'm thinking that in my mind, but here's what it made me think about. That when Jesus was named, there were other Jesuses. Yeah. Yeah. Just like there are today. Right. And so when he said, who do you say that I am? Yeah. It wasn't just John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets or Jeremiah, because there is no comparison. To who? The Christ, the son of the living God. You see, when Peter said, you are the Christ, he didn't mention Jesus. But it's Christ that gives the power to the name of Jesus. Why is that? Because Christ means the anointed one sent from God. The anointed one sent from God. The one who brings his super into our natural. The one who brings heaven to our earth. The one who brings his possibility into our impossibility. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, the anointed one sent from God, who has the power to bring heaven to earth, who has the power to bring your super to my natural, who has the power to bring possibility into my impossibility. Jesus would later say, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Jesus' birth was announced in Luke, the first chapter in the 32nd, seventh verse by an angel that said, Mary, no thing will be impossible with God. Nothing. That's how his birth was announced. So I want to talk to you today for the few minutes that we have on being an unstoppable force. Why? Because here's what Jesus said. First of all, Your own understanding, your own flesh and blood is not gonna reveal who Jesus is to you. God has to reveal Jesus to you. To open your eyes, to open your understanding that God is not your mama's God. He's not just your pastor's God. He wants to be your God. So if you're gonna be an unstoppable force, you've gotta know who God is. For yourself, you've gotta know who God is. And this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying, who do you say that I am? Here's what's so important about this. How you see somebody determines what you get from that person. And the devil does his damnedest. And that's the only way I know to say it, to try to get us to view people the wrong way so that we can't receive anything good from another son or daughter of God. And so we size people up based on their ethnicity. We size people up based on where they're from. We size people up based on what's in us. And what's so important, what I want you to get today is we don't see people how people really are. We see people how we are. We don't hear what somebody is saying to us. We hear how we are. And sometimes we don't even realize that our filters clog. Sometimes we don't even realize that, that we have a myopic or a very small view of God's sons or God's daughter because we have a very small view of God. And so what Jesus said is, flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. And I want you to realize something. You're blessed when you realize this because You need to understand, I'm gonna build my church. Who's gonna build cool church? God's gonna build cool church. God is building cool church. Cool church is not Miramar High School. Cool church is you. We are the church. And he says, I will build my church. And then he gives this promise. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. In other words, what he was saying is, because you're my son and because you're my daughter, if you'll understand who I am, you will be an unstoppable force in the earth. Nothing will be able to stop you. So I have a question for you. If God says hell and the devil can't stop you, then why should anything else be able to stop you? And too often times we're believing the lies of man. We're believing believing what people say rather than what God says about us. So if you're going to be unstoppable, the first thing you got to realize is you've got to know who God is for you. You got to know who God is. The Bible says that Jesus could do no great work in Nazareth. Why? Because here's what they said. Is this not just the carpenter's son? Is this not just, this is just a carpenter. He could do no great work there. Not because he wasn't Jesus the Christ in Nazareth, but because of the way they saw him. You see, sometimes it's the way we see, it's the way we see God, it's the way we see ourselves. And let me just say, the way you see God will determine how you see yourself. You're God's son, you're God's daughter. That's the most important thing about you that you need to know, not who your daddy is or isn't, not who your mom is or isn't on the earth. God just used them to get you here. You're God's son, you're God's daughter. He wants you to know who he is. Uh, I've, I've traveled all over the country, and especially from about 1987 to about 2000, I traveled around the world with a team called Strike Force. Uh, we did feats of strength. We broke concrete, in fact, I hold a, a world record breaking 50 concrete blocks with my fist. And we'd break police handcuffs, it'd freak police out. See, my father was a Dallas policeman, I'll tell you about that in a minute. But, but I learned how to break police handcuffs. Of course, you have to be strong to do that too. But bend Steel bars, we'd crush concrete, we'd go into schools all across America, millions and millions of kids for years and talk to them about how important it is to not let any wall in your life, any bar to keep you back, anything to keep you behind bars of your own making, how to break the chains of your past. And we'd go right into public schools and talk about those things. And I traveled for 40 plus weeks a year doing this. 1988, some of y'all are way too young to remember this, but some of y'all will remember. But uh, Peter Jennings was the host of World News Tonight. If you watch World News Tonight, now it's David Muir. But back in the day in 1988, it was Peter Jennings. One night on on, uh, World News Tonight, here we were, the feature story, number one assembly program in America, World News Tonight. These guys are are going across America and they're breaking chains off young people, tearing walls down, giving them hope, letting them know they're unstoppable. And so I did that for many, many years. In fact, my team is still intact. On my 63rd birthday this year in January, on January 9th, uh, Pastor Terrence, uh, the police came and handcuffed me again at 63 and I still broke the handcuffs. And, and so they were going, oh my God, what are they doing? I said, that's exactly right. Oh my God. Yes, it's my God. But anyway, so age is just a number. Come on, some of y'all that are older need to say amen to that. It's just a number. By the way, little health tip. Your heart's going to grow older. Your brain's going to grow older. Your bones are going to grow older. But there's one thing that never grows older and it's your muscle. And the key to longevity is your mus- is your muscularity. So even if you're older, you say, well, I don't really ever work out. Just if you're sitting there watching your favorite program, get two cans of corn. And while you're sitting there, just why? Because your muscle affects everything. It affects everything. Anyway, that's just a little tip for you. So, but stay strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. We're spirit, soul, and body. So anyway, I traveled all across the country. And so I would leave on Saturday and get back early on Thursday morning because we would go to churches on Sunday, do a big rally on Sunday night. And then I'd be in public schools Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday all day long. And then we do night shows on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, invite everybody to come out and see just, just tons of people giving their life to Christ. Well, as I was traveling, sometimes my family would go with me and sometimes they wouldn't. But, um, but I remember one Thursday morning, I came home, it was real early and I was trying to be quiet and I slipped in, closed the door behind me. All of a sudden I heard little, little foot, footsteps running and around the corner came Keela. Keela was our middle daughter. And Keela comes around the corner and she goes, <gasps> As she runs up to me and I thought she was gonna hug me before she got to me, she drops to her knees and she kisses my feet and then she looks up and raises her hands and she says, welcome home, my prince. She goes, I'm so glad you're home, daddy. And I had two thoughts. My first thought was, where did you learn this? And my second thought was, your mother needs to learn this. This is a proper greeting. So I said, Keila, I want you to go wake your mom up and do the same thing. She goes, okay. So she comes and she runs around the corner. She goes, mommy, are you watching? I'm going, yeah. She does the same thing, drops on her knees, kisses my feet lifts her hands in the air, welcome home my priest, prince, puts her hand over her heart and says, I'm so glad you're home. And so I looked at my wife and I said, where did she learn this? And she said, I don't know. And I said, I think it's a proper greeting. <laughs> I, I just want to walk through the door like this and take your breath away. So ladies, let me tell you a gift you can give your husband. Just sometimes when he walks through the door go, oh, just that. Just for a moment, act like he takes your breath away. Just, Are you okay? Yes, I just, for a minute, you took my breath away. Baby, what do you want? Anyway, but I remember one time I, I, she did that because guess what, it started when she was four, she did it all through her high school years with me. Every time I would come home, she's in her 30s now, has her own family. And still every once in a while, she'll drop to her knees, kiss my feet, lift her hands, say, welcome home, my prince. But one, one of the times, I can't remember after this, but that, was, that happened the first time when she was four. Sometimes between seven or eight, somewhere around there, I said, Kayla, why do you do that? And she did this. I don't, I don't, it kind of hurts my back to even do that. But it's a, it's a female thing, for those of you that don't know. It's the same way that a woman can hold a baby right here whatever that notch is that a man doesn't have, <laughs> but they also use it to make a statement sometimes. And, um, and she goes, what do you mean, why do I do that? I go, yeah, she goes, cause you're my daddy, you're my father, you're, 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 that's why I do it. Now, can I just tell y'all something? How you see God determines what you get from God. So, so you might say, like some of y'all are new at cool church and you wonder, like some of you, this might be your first time here this weekend. First of all, thank you for coming. But secondly, you may be wondering what the chairs were for. Because when you walk in this place, I mean, for 20 or 30 minutes, you're just standing up, singing karaoke. You see people, you see people, their hands are raised, you're following the bouncing ball on the screen with the words, trying to keep up with the crazy guy going, come on! Oh, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> but you're thinking in your mind, like, what is that? Let me tell you why as, a, as kingdom people, not just as a church, it's not church culture, it's kingdom culture. We stand in the presence of not a president, not a king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why we worship. When we lift up our hands, do you know do you know what lifting up your hands is? It's, it's yada in the Hebrew and here's what it means. It literally, if I can put it in, in today's language, let's put it in a in, uh, uh, Star Wars language. A lightsaber When your hands go up, it's like two lightsabers that go up. Now watch this, above your head, above your thinking, and between how you think, and what God wants to do in bringing his super into your natural, his heaven into your earth, his kingdom into your life, you're reaching beyond yourself and that becomes a conduit of light for God to flow his power and his spirit in you. That's why we lift up our hands. Did you know when you clap, you know that clap was a form of worship? Now you see people clap at football games and. Yeah, worship and basketball and 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 even golf. Like you'll see people clapping. Clapping is a form of worship. You know what it meant? This is Earth. This is heaven. Heaven's coming into Earth. This is impossible. This is God's possibility. When I'm clapping, God, you're bringing your possibility into my impossibility. That's what it means. Sometimes we just think, oh, I'm so happy. I'm clapping. Clapping was meant as a form of worship heaven to earth, possibility to impossibility. God's super into our natural. God, we worship you. And guess what? When we worship him, whether it's lifting our hands, clapping our hands, using the voice that we have to give glory and honor to almighty God, it makes God, God in our lives. And here's what that means. It makes the impossible possible for you. It makes his super come into your life, why? Because you're acknowledging who he is. So you have to know who God is. You have to know who God is. Here's the second thing, if you're gonna be unstoppable, because God wants you to be unstoppable, you're his church. I will build my church. I will build your family, I will build your marriage, I will build your life, and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against you. I want you to have an unstoppable spirit, why? Because I'm God, you're my son, you're my daughter, and if you will trust Jesus and invite Jesus into your heart as my son, who has become incarnate flesh in the earth, God revealed in the earth, then you'll be like God in the earth. You'll be like God in the earth. Jesus said, greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. How? Because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and he's gonna empower you. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, the only miracles that happened were in his presence. But then he said, the whole earth is gonna be filled with my glory and you're my glory in the earth. So you've gotta know who God is, but watch this you've got to know who you are. 1984, through genome science and research, they discovered something for the first time. And that is that 99% of our DNA is all the same. No matter what time in history you were born, no matter what part of the world you're from, no matter what your ethnicity is, 99% of our DNA is the same. But everybody has a 1% that's unique to them. They just discovered that. So what's interesting is most people don't know that they've got what I call an X factor for success. Yeah. And that's your 1%. Do you know there's only a 1% difference between you and Oprah Winfrey? There's only 1% difference between you and Beyonce. There's only 1% difference when you and Bill Gates. There's only 1% difference when you and Warren Buffett. The smartest entertainers, doesn't matter. Tech people, creators, doesn't matter. Influencers, doesn't matter. There's only a 1% difference between them and you. And that's why I wrote my book, Your Divine Fingerprint. I wrote that book because I wanted to help people discover, develop and deploy their unique 1% to help them understand, wow, there's greatness in you that nobody else has. Jesus prayed this prayer, John 17. In fact, John 17, the 17th chapter of the, of the Gospel of John is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. You know, if you listen to people pray, you can tell what's important to them. And Jesus in John 17, five different times, he says, Lord, make them one, even as, there, as we are one, so the world will know that you sent me. Why do you think the devil fights so hard? Sometimes I feel sorry for people who aren't considered to be black or white because they don't get as much attention as we do. Because it seems like the world makes a black and a white thing. In other words, mankind says, oh, well that's how, and we allow whatever that is for generations to separate us. Rather than understanding, wait a minute, wait. We're We're like all a part of God's family. If I bleed red, you bleed red. We're God's sons and daughters in the earth, but mankind does everything he can to mess it up with his own philosophies, with his own traditions, with his own issues, rather than understanding. You gotta understand that God made you as his son and his daughter, there's a 1% that you have that nobody else has. And in this longest prayer that Jesus prayed five times, which five in in the Bible is the number of grace, The power of God to do things God's way. He prays five times. Lord, why would he pray over and over? Make them one, even as you and I are one. Why? So the world will know that you sent me. That they won't be divided. They'll be united so the world can say, wow, if they can be united, there must be something real about this God. And so in the context of that, and I encourage you to, in your own time, just go read through John 17. You'll find out what's important to Jesus, but you get to the 22nd verse of John 17, and here's what he says. Father, you've given me your glory. Now I give it to them. Now, let me tell y'all something. I was raised in church and I never heard that. I knew I needed, needed Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I knew I needed to get saved and I did. I knew I needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I did. I knew I needed to to learn about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. I knew I needed that. I knew I needed to know about the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and I've studied all that, have degrees in it, but guess what I never heard? In this prayer, there's a revelation. Father, you've given me your glory. Now I give it to them. I was 14 years old. It was 1974. I was sitting in a church service just like this. The pastor said, look at your hand. I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. Just Just put your hand out in front of me. Just look at your hand with me. Just follow me for just a second. Here's what the pastor said. You have a fingerprint nobody else has ever had. Now everybody look up here at me. You don't have your dad's fingerprint. You don't have your mom's fingerprint. You don't have your brother's fingerprint. You don't have your sister's fingerprint. You have a fingerprint that nobody's ever had and nobody ever will. Why would God mark you on the outside with a fingerprint that nobody's ever had? Because you have a deposit of God's glory that nobody's ever had. So in your DNA, in your DNA, the doctors can't describe what your 1% is. But one of the reasons God's put me on the earth is to help people discover that. What is the, part, the deposit of God's glory in you that the world has never seen that only you can bring to the world? When I was 14, when I was sitting in that church service and I was looking at my hand, here's where the pastor stopped. He said, you have a fingerprint that nobody else has. Well, my dad was a cop. And he was a forensic specialist. In fact, my dad worked in fingerprinting. I thought, I've heard that before. Because I would go to work with my dad. Like they used to, I don't know if they still do it, but they would have work days where parents could take their kids out of school and actually take them for a work day. Well, I'd go and I'd watch my dad fingerprint people. And so I'd heard that before, because I would ask him about it. I said, Dad, why, why do you think God gave everybody a fingerprint? Now again, here's a cop's mentality. He goes, to identify him at the scene of the crime. (laughs) What? What? I remember saying that. I said, so you think God gave everybody an individual fingerprint? Watch this, here's what man does with it, to use it against you? That's what man does with it. So I'm sitting in church and the pastor says, You have a fingerprint, nobody else has it. For the first time in my life, at 14, God spoke to me. He said, to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. (laughs) Father, here's Jesus. Father, you've given me your glory. Now everybody lift up your hands. Come on, everybody. Now I give it to them. I want you to just right now, out loud, maybe for the first time in your life, just say, thank you, Jesus. Forgiven me the glory of God. This is what's so powerful. When I got this revelation, I thought I got to tell the world this. It's like, this, this part of what God's put me on the earth to do. When Terrence and I talked about me coming this week and I said, I got to give that message. I know I've talked about it before. And I know you guys, some people in your church are familiar with my book and maybe even heard me preach. But I thought, I've got to tell people this. P- you have to know who you are. The devil has done his damnedest. Listen to me to hold you back. The devil has done everything he can to make you look at yourself and think you're not that big a deal. But you have a deposit of God's glory evidenced by a fingerprint that nobody else has to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave that's unique to you. The world has never seen it and they will never see that part of God's glory, that 1% that separates your DNA from everybody else. My dad, from time to time, I mentioned that he was a policeman. He would, he would take me to his school in his squad car. And um, he didn't take me every day, but every day he took me, this happened. I'd get in his police car, I was always so excited. I'd slide over right next to him, I'd put my arm around him. Now you gotta understand, I'm, I may look small on this stage, but I'm six six. my dad was five nine. so when I was 11, I was almost as big as my dad. And I'd slide right over next to him. I'd put my arm around him. I'd lay my head on his shoulder. I'd put my hand on his leg. He'd just be sitting there holding the wheel. (laughs) We didn't talk, it was about a seven minute drive. We didn't talk all the way to school and I respected that. And we drove so slow. What should take two minutes to get to school took seven minutes because my dad as a cop would drive so slow. I can remember saying, Dad, yeah, can we go the speed limit? he go, are you in a hurry? I said, no, sir, but um, I get it against the law to go below the speed limit, just like it's against the law to go faster than the speed limit? He never answered that. But anyway, we'd get to school, and every day he took me to school, here's what happened. I'd look him right in his ear, and I'd say, I love you, Dad. And he couldn't say it. So from the time I was 11, this is my recollection. I'd look him right in his ear and I'd say, I love you, dad. And he just had his hands on the wheel and he'd shake his head. and I'd go, now, repeat this after me. (laughs) Say, I, he'd go, I love, love you. My dad never told me he loved me without me leading him to tell me that he loved me. And so he would do it and then after he did it, I would grab his face and I would turn it towards me. And he'd be like this. I go, look at me, look at me. I love you, dad. And I'd kiss him right on the lips. He'd shake his head and he'd go, okay, Keith, okay. Have a good day. He was so uncomfortable. (laughs) I would always have friends that would gather, this is true, friends that would gather, three or four guys, and I was always bigger than everybody most of the time and I'd get out of the car and they'd go, hey man, and they'd kind of be laughing because it just, it phenomenated them. I'd drive up with my dad, sitting right next to him, arm around him, turning his face to me, kiss, they didn't know what else I was saying to him. So my mother would give me the business about it, y'all. In fact, one day she said, she was just on me, she goes, Keith Allen, Allen's my middle name. She said, your father is a public servant. When you are in his, his police car, you cannot be like, it looks like you're, you're driving down the road, your arms around him, he's a policeman and you're hugging all over him and, and kissing him. And, and, and I broke and I started crying. I said, mom, You know how dad didn't have a dad? She's looking at me, she goes, yeah. I said, I feel like that God spoke something to me. I feel like that that God told me to love my dad in a way that his dad never loved him. And I said, mom, but I want your permission. I said, he never had a dad that held his hand. He never had a dad that hugged him. He never had a dad that kissed him. So mom, that's me. That's who I am. Like, But I want your permission. I want your permission to love him like I believe God wants me to love him because that's who I am. And my mother looks at me and she starts crying. She says, yes, that's exactly what your father needs. Yes. <laughs> She goes, do that. And so for the rest of my life, that's what I did for the rest of his life. Every time he approached me, I would grab him. He was always so uncomfortable. I would hug him. I would kiss him. In fact, let me just show you a few pictures. This is my dad and I on one of my motorcycles. This is three months before he passed away. The next picture is that same trip. This is the last trip we took together. He always called me his gorilla. He'd go, come on, gorilla, because I, I would grab his hand. I'm like holding his hand down here, you know, because he wouldn't even pull his hand up. Like I'd do, okay, dad, all right, that's the way it's going to be. So uncomfortable. And then the last time he came to my church, this is in the garage of my church, this was the picture. Now, I want to show you something. This might make you sick, but it's okay. It's me. It doesn't have to be you. But that's what I'm talking to you about. Don't be like me, be like you. And quit taking your cues from what your daddy did or didn't do, what your mommy did or didn't do, what your brothers do or don't do. God made you, he gave you a 1%. But see, here's what happens, we hold back. We get hurt, we hold back because of what they didn't do for us. We hold back rather than saying, no, 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 wait, I have a deposit of God's glory my dad doesn't have. I have a deposit of God's glory that my brothers and sisters don't, have. I've, gotta, I've, gotta, I've gotta be me because he made me his son. He gave me a deposit evidenced by a fingerprint of his glory to leave an imprint on people. And the people that you love the most are your practice. Because sometimes they're the ones that hurt you the most. And let me tell you something about hurt. I wrote this for myself. The things that hurt you the most have the power to help you the most. Because you can know it's not about you. It's about them. So I want you to notice. Put that back up there if you don't mind, guys. But I want you to notice where his hands are. It wasn't like he's going, hey, son, I love you too. No, no, no. Here's what happened. From the time I was 11 until that picture right there, and I think I'm about 50, probably 56 in that picture, I would approach my dad just like I am. And as he saw me coming every time, he put his hands behind his back, put his head down, he'd walk towards me like this. And then once he felt my hands on his shoulder, he'd go, he'd close his eyes and go, I was like, okay. <laughs> but let me tell you something. That's who I was. That's who I am as a person. If you saw my son walking here, my son is bigger than me. He doesn't get to come up to me and just hug me. He's gonna get a kiss. <laughs> and he's an introvert, y'all. It's not his way but he just knows it's happening. So he's embraced it. (laughs) Now listen, God made you like he made you. And Nelson Mandela quoted a woman by the name of Marianne Wilson, when he said, you do not do the world any favors by playing small. And you know, when you play small, you play small when you take your cues from other people. And you decide, well, I'm not going to do that because they didn't do that. I'm not going to be that way. That little, that little woman right down there on the front row, do you know that when she said yes to me on January 20th, 1976, I told her then, on the 20th of every month, as long as we're together, I'm going to honor you. She said, we were, I was 16, she was 15. She goes, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. But just know I'm so excited you said yes to being my girlfriend that I'm gonna honor this day. That's why I say it's 573 months this month because I told her that. How many times have you honored me on that day? Hey, do you even remember the date? No. She don't even remember the date. <laughs> if I ask her how many months it's been, she couldn't tell you. Why? Listen to me now. Here's the mistake people make in their marriage. People stop bringing what they bring because she's not bringing what I'm bringing. God gave you that woman to bring a deposit of his glory that she's not assigned to give you that back. God gave you that man not to give you back what you gave him. That's a part of your glory, God's glory that's in you. And what messes people up is what they do, they want back. What did Jesus say? Anybody know the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not that they'll ever do it. But I like what I like. So I like a celebration on the 20th of every month. She did too last month when I gave her a new Rolex on that day. (laughs) What did I get on that day? A hug and a kiss. I'll take that. Here's my point. Your relationships that you have, the quality of those relationships, Is not what somebody does back to you, but you never quitting to bring what you bring to that relationship. If that's speaking to you, just give me a little wave, anybody, all right? So I'm gonna close with this. Are we okay, Uh, Pastor Terrence? I'm gonna close with this. I came today to not just tell you about an unstoppable force. But today I'm going to pray for you in just a minute that God will give you an unstoppable spirit that you'll you'll begin to understand that you have a deposit of God's glory that nobody else has. And it may seem like you never get as much back as you give. That's kind of how Jesus felt. Could you ever give him enough back for his forgiveness? Could you ever give him enough back for the price he paid for your sins? Could you ever? No. So why don't we be the kind of people that just bring the glory of God that's in us and leave an imprint in other people's lives that nobody else can leave? That's how special you are. That's your distinction. That's what I call your X factor for success. So you got to know who you are. You got to know who God is. Here's the last thing. You got to know what God puts you on the earth to do. What's God put you on the earth to do? Not just to work a job, not just to feed your family. What's he put you on the earth to do? My mother had left the house to go to a choir banquet. I was a little boy. She put me inside a playpen that was about bed height, so I'm down in the playpen. She put me down for a nap. My, mother, my grandmother, my mamaw, had come over to take care of us. And so my mother told her, hey, I just put Keith down, check on him in about 45 minutes. She went to her choir banquet. She didn't think anything about taking her dress out of a laundry clothes bag and throwing it on the bed. She was in a hurry. My brother walked into the room where my mama was, the kitchen, and grabbed her dress. And he was about two and a half. And he said, "Mamma, Mama keys all blue. She didn't know what he was talking about. She kind of ignored him. She knew I was taking a nap. He came in about 10 minutes later. Now it's been about 45 minutes. Mama, Mama, keys all blue. You got to come. And she looked at her watch and it was 45 minutes. So she went and checked on me. When she looked down into the playpen, she didn't recognize me because I was enveloped in a laundry clothes bag I was blue blood was coming from my nose my mouth my ears I was bleeding out immediately she pulled the plastic bag off of me there was no breath in my body she picked me up and when she picked me up I was bleeding out of every orifice and I began to bleed out on her no breath in my body I'd suffocated to death she called 911, and in 1961, there wasn't an emergency center a mile away. Methodist Hospital was over 30 minutes away. They dispatched an ambulance, and ambulance was dispatched. And she walked out on the corner of 4416 West Clarendon, and she was holding me, praying 10 minutes past, 20 minutes past. She's thinking, where is the ambulance? And at about the 30-minute mark of just sitting there holding me, no air, no life in my body. A fire truck comes rushing down our street and the fire chief, a man by the name of E.R. Kaufman, jumped out of the fire truck and he said, I'm so sorry the ambulance had a flat tire. We picked up the call. How long has he been like this? She said, I don't know, but I've been out here for at least 30 minutes. They tried everything. They tried mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. They tried everything. They finally pronounced me dead on the scene. They pulled a sheet over me and... It was at that point that my mama prayed a prayer something like this. She said, God, you are the giver of life. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can raise my grandson from the dead. I ask you in the name of Jesus, blow your breath in his nostrils. The firemen were just sitting there. They knew it was over until like a rushing mighty wind, the sheet that they had put on me blew off, my eyes popped open, and my mamaw started doing this. She's like, she like knew God had come through at that moment. I want to show you something. That'd be a cute little story if it wasn't a front page story on the Dallas Morning News. That's me, that's my dad, Jimmy the cop, who passed away about five years ago. That's my beautiful mother, she's still alive today. That's my mama in the back. That's my brother. And in case you can't read the caption, it says, a Thanksgiving blessing. This is on Thanksgiving Day, 1961. Young Keith Allen Craft will be a real-life Thanksgiving blessing this year to his parents, Mr. and Miss James M. Craft, his grandmother, Miss Fred Ferguson, and his brother, Bruce Craft. The boy suffocated, but was brought back to life earlier this year. It was a documented miracle. But you know what? Can I just tell you something? To me, that wasn't the miracle. The miracle is that woman in the back. You see, in 1955, six years before this happened, that woman in the back who you can't barely see that was my hero growing up, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1955 when they said you had breast cancer, it was a death sentence. They got permission to try a new therapy on her lasers for the first time. She was one of the first cancer. People had cancer that they used laser on. You can't see it in the picture, but from her neck all the way down, all the way down to her upper legs, her body was fried. When my grandfather... The day she found out her breasts were gonna have to be removed when my grandfather found out, he chose to use that occasion to tell her that he was leaving her because that meant she wouldn't be a woman anymore. And he left with her best friend. That day when she walked out on the curb six years later, here's what she didn't say. What she didn't say was, you know, God, I had breast cancer and you didn't heal me. My husband left me with my best friend. So I guess you're just not God. I guess, you know, you, you, There's nothing that can be done. That's, not, that's what she didn't say. What she did say when she walked out on that curb and stood there 30 minutes holding me in her arms was, God, I believe, I believe that you're God. I, I believe you can resurrect this boy. I believe you are a God of miracles. I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I, I believe. And so she stood for me, and even when they pronounced me dead, she still prayed for me. She still prayed for me. She wouldn't give up when everybody else gave up, she wouldn't give up, you know why? Because she had an unstoppable spirit. Here's what I'm telling you. I don't know what's happened in your life, but I can tell you this, there's nothing more hurtful than a broken heart. No disease, no diagnosis. When your heart's been broken, it is the worst kind of brokenness. That's why the Bible says that God draws near to the brokenhearted. I'm standing here today because the real miracle was not that I came back to life. The real miracle was I had a mammal who had an unstoppable spirit. In 2019, I had a massive heart attack. I walked into the hospital, none of us knew this, but I had 100% blockage. Long story short, When they did the EKG, the doctor, the nurse ran out of the room, almost knocked herself out. The doctor came in, got right in my face and said, we're taking you immediately into surgery. You have 100% blockage, you're having a massive heart attack. I said, no, 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 listen, I've got a little chest pain, but this is not happening. He goes, we're taking you to surgery right now. Funny side note of that story. My wife, as they were rolling me out, she said, hey, let me take a picture for the kids. (laughs) It's so funny. So I just held up and I love you. This is how cool this woman is. You talk about cool. The doctors are like rushing me out. She goes, let me take a picture for the kids. (laughs) And I went, (laughs) anyway, nothing shakes that girl. And so that was on Father's Day, 2019, After the surgery, I was laying there on Saturday. That was Friday night. On Saturday, I'm laying there, not knowing if I was gonna live or die, not knowing if I had kidney damage, heart damage. When you have 100% blockage, it's very serious. The doctor walks in on Father's Day weekend of 2019. He said, I've seen two miracles in my life and you're both of them. He said, nobody ever walks into a hospital and there's no blood pumping in their heart. He said, you were walking in, you were coherent. He said, that was the first miracle. He said, the second miracle is that today, you're gonna go out of ICU, and you do not have heart damage, and you do not have lung damage, and it's, it's, he goes, I've never seen, in 30 years, I've never seen anything like it. Here's what I wanna tell you. I hadn't told you this yet, Terrence. But I have the number one cardiologist in America, and I guess in the world, is a man named Dr. McCullough. You can look him up. Dr. McCullough is the most published cardiologist of all time. Here's what he told me two weeks ago. So that's been four years. They got my blood work back, and he said, I don't know. I don't know. Hold on to this. He said, and I'm going I'm, I'm to just show you something here. He said, I don't know if it would ever be possible, but if it was ever possible for somebody to play in the NFL at 63, it would be you. He said, I've never seen it. I'm not doing this to brag. What I'm telling you is, it doesn't matter what happens in your life when you have an unstoppable spirit. Come on, that's what I'm telling you. The devil can't kill you. A heart attack can't kill you. Cancer can't kill you. You're not going to die until God says it's time for you to die. Come on, y'all. I had a mamaw who prayed for me, who brought me back to life, and that same power is in this room. Come on, y'all. I want you to lift up your hands. I have an assignment from God. And the assignment from God today is Jesus said, as you freely received, I want you to freely give. And my assignment today is to impart into you an unstoppable spirit. Some of y'all, the devil has done, his, again, his damnedest to try to hold you back. Can I just say something, an old church song? But, baby, you ain't seen n- n- nothing yet. You hadn't seen n- nothing yet. God is about to do something in your life. What is September? I'm going to prophesy. I'm glad y'all came to this second service because I didn't do this the first service. I'm going to prophesy to you now. Are you ready? Here's what nine means in scripture. Here's what nine means. We're in the ninth month. On September 9th, you don't wanna miss your little picnic thing, cause it's way more than just a picnic thing. It's nine, nine. What does nine mean in scripture? Here it comes. First of all, fruitfulness. There aren't 10 fruit of the Spirit, there aren't eight fruit of the Spirit. There aren't 10 gifts of the Spirit, there aren't eight gifts of the Spirit. There are nine gifts of the Spirit and nine fruit of the Spirit. What is God saying? Cool Church, Pastor Terrence, come stand with me. Get ready, you're entering into, and every business person, every business person, every person that wants to start a business, beginning today, beginning this month, I announce to you fruitfulness. God's going to cause you to be fruitful like never before. You know how I stay on the fruitful side of life? Okay, Terrence, listen. Here's what the Bible says. The greatest commandment. God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. You know why it's the greatest commandment? Because it's the hardest thing to do. You can't choose which neighbor you love and which neighbor you don't love. God said, Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, yeah. So, greatest commitment, greatest commission go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teach them to observe all things. That's what cool church is all about. But what people don't realize is the greatest assignment. This assignment has never changed. I want to release this into your spirit. After you created male and female, the first act of God was he blessed them to be fruitful. But not just be fruitful, but to multiply. Watch this. Not just to multiply, but to fill the earth. What does the Bible say? The whole earth will be filled with his glory. I have a deposit of God's glory. You have a deposit of God's glory. Your work is gonna be filled with the glory of God because you're there. Quit hating your job and love that you have a job. That's for somebody. Listen, fill that place with the glory of God till he comes and says, it's time for your promotion, girl. So don't just be fruitful, but multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and take dominion. That's the greatest assignment that's never changed. So how, how do I stay fruitful? Let me tell you how I stay fruitful. One of the things that God's put me on the earth to do is to be a blessing. Put, put that, uh, that newspaper article back up, guys. I'm sorry I'm going a little bit long, but this is a little bit different. We're just about through. If you read that caption right at the top, what does it say? A Thanksgiving blessing. Do you know I have a, an assignment on my life everywhere I go? to bring a blessing that'll cause thanks in people's lives. I take that very seriously. They thought they were just printing a newspaper article. For me, that's prophetic. So I didn't come to Cool Church to take from y'all. I came to give to you. Why? Because your pastor said it. It's the only, it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's not recorded there in the book of Acts. Acts means the acts of the church. Jesus is quoted not by Matthew not by Mark not by Luke not by John but in Acts the apostle Paul says it is more blessed to give than receive how do you stay fruitful you give you give so I want to be a thanksgiving blessing so our church which you probably maybe never heard of but I hope you'll remember us because we're your brothers and we're your sisters. We pray for you. I pray for you every week. I pray for your pastor every Sunday morning before the service starts. And so we brought a $10,000 check today because I want to be a Thanksgiving blessing. I'm not saying that. Listen, I'm not saying that for you to pat me on the back. I'm saying it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How do you be fruitful in your life? Keep planting seed. Come on, y'all. Keep planting seed. Keep planting seed. All right? So nine is fruitful. Here's the second thing. Nine is finality. Listen very carefully. I'm saying this to you prophetically. Some of you have needed something to come to an end. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hands. There's something you need to come to an end. I don't know what it is. Only you know what it is. I announce in the name of Jesus and on the authority of the word of God, that just like the sons of Issachar distinguished themselves because they knew the seasons, the times and the seasons, and they knew what to do. In this time and in this season, I announce finality. What needs to come to an end in the name of Jesus right now, it begins to end in Jesus' name, whatever that is. And there's something, some of you, there's something in your life that needs to come to an end, and you just need to stop it. You just need to say, that stops today. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Everybody say finality. Everybody say fruitfulness. The last thing that nine means in the Bible is fullness of time. What is happening? What is it that a mama, no matter where she is in the world, no matter what time history that she lives in, that if mama doesn't carry a baby for eight months, she doesn't carry a baby for 10 months, all across the world, there's something we all have in common. At about the nine month period, it's time for the baby to come. Here's what I wanna speak over your life. It's the fullness of time. There's babies that are about to be born, and I'm not just talking about physical babies. I'm talking about businesses. I'm talking about ideas. I'm talking about new church mergers. In other words, it's the fullness of time, so fruitful finality fullness of time father i seal this word i thank you that for such a time as this you have given us the keys to the kingdom and god we stand here not as christians not as losers not as weak people we stand in the strength of almighty god to say i can do i can do all things through christ who is my strength so god today i release a spirit an unstoppable spirit in cool church that god whatever you put in their heart whatever you put in front of them you're gonna make a way where there seems to be no way you're gonna bring the resources where resources need to be you're gonna raise up millionaires in this house multi-millionaires in this house god i prophesied i stand on it let it be and everybody say amen come on y'all say amen Thank you so much for listening. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends because it helps so much. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WeAreCoolChurch. And always remember that you were created out of love.